Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We've been talking about the kingdom of God and and what it means, all the different pieces of what it means to be a citizen in God's kingdom. And this morning we wanna talk about kingdom loyalty. Um, Loyalty is something that we're all familiar with because every place has some kind of loyalty program. Uh, Loyalty programs, you know, they might be discounts or rewards or other special incentives. Uh, that really kind of fill two functions as, as a business or organization is that they want to reward customers for desirable behavior and, and they, they want to gather information and data on those customers. And, and so there's, there's reward programs all over and kind of these for loyalty and that. And as I was thinking through this, there's, there's lots of things that, you know, like I'll, I'll jump in to get a discount for. But I've, I've realized as I was thinking through this this week that there's a number of things that I would say um, exist in me as brand loyalty because I can get pretty excited about certain things and then certain things stick and certain things don't. But I was thinking this week about the things that I am absolutely sold out to and one of them is my footwear. Um, I only wear ultra shoes, um, which are shoes that have a, a zero toe heel rise and they have a wide uh, front foot bed, because I read a book called Born to Run that convinced me that I need to wear, treat my feet differently. And so um, if you want to get into all of the, the discussion of footwear, bring it, because I would be happy to convince you that you are wearing the wrong shoes. Um, and then also on the, on the issue of feet, I also solely wear Injinji socks, which are the socks that have individual pieces for each toe. Um, and I found that now when, what? Does someone not, see, you, you, will, you will be sold on this because see now when I wear socks with only one section in them, my toes feel claustrophobic and they're crying out for freedom. And so... Uh, you know, there's, there's that, but, but then also, you know, like another thing that I'm very loyal to is Mountain Dew. Um, I, if, like, if you wanted to quiz me, you can quiz me on this, but I can pretty much tell you what restaurants serve Mountain Dew and which ones don't. I know all of them. Um, I know the ones who've changed and they now should be punished. But um, I, I like to the extent that it, kind of a Coke Pepsi thing, but like Costco food court, they have Pepsi. But they don't have Mountain Dew, so they're dead to me. So um, I will never buy anything from Costco food court. Uh, but, you know, and then, of course, like Mr. T's, I'm loyal to Mr. T's. And, 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 and like REI, I like REI because uh, I like outdoors, but also I like getting that year-end dividend thing. It's like they're giving me free money. They've convinced me that that's the case. I mean, I realize that that's not actually true, but I can think that. Uh, but, you know, there's all these things that we're, like, loyal to, and I was thinking about that, and actually I was... <laughs> Something reminded me of, uh, of, of Kyle's message last week when he talked about Facebook um, and how he said like what he loves about Facebook is to see somebody uh, like put something kind of that is tension oriented and then watch the explosions in the comment section follow. I think Kyle's a monster. Um, <laughs> I, I think that is horrifying to me. Um, and, and I am like the 
opposite extreme of Kyle because on my Facebook wall, um, the only thing that shows up are the things that I'm kind of like loyal to. And so like my Facebook wall is all from my groups of, of Green Mountain Grill it's Chevy Colorado ZR2 and zero electric motorcycles, which I figured that out. But anyway, so, so um, and then like post from Beth Mead because she only says what Jesus would say because I've unfollowed everyone else because I can't do it. So like, it's just kind of where I am on, on Facebook. And so it's only the things that I really like and then nothing that will give me tension. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we, we really are pretty familiar with this idea of loyalty. And, and here's the thing, the gospel announcement that God has raised the crucified Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places as the rightful ruler over the entire cosmos, not only identifies Jesus as our rescuer, but also identifies him as the only one worthy of our loyalty. That's, that's what the gospel does. And so every other allegiance is subordinate to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, he says in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When he says that, what he's talking about is that when we have our loyalty in the right place, when we have our primary ultimate loyalty to Jesus, then that actually orders everything else in its rightful spot and we can rightly have these other things in our lives, in a right order, and those things will benefit our lives. They will not take over our lives. But we have to be seeking the kingdom of God first and always. And so really, when we talk about loyalty, loyalty uh, in, in a person is someone whose behavior and actions are consistent towards someone or something over time, especially when it's hard. You can expect a loyal person to be faithful and true no matter what. Like in, in books and film, like one of the most loyal people ever was Samwise. Like he just was loyal in the Lord of the Rings. And, and whether, whether difficult or easy, he just stayed faithful and true. And here's the thing, fears and trials, persecution and suffering can challenge and test a person's loyalty. But, but really, loyalty is universally expected. It really is something that is an expectation from all the different forces around us and, and people. You see, we live in a constant tension because of the universality and expected, of, of expected loyalty from, from every, every corner of our lives. Government's an easy example to use when it comes to expected loyalty. In, in the Bible, Christians are not necessarily called to overthrow governments, but we do teach people to put faith in the perfect government of God, which does, in its very existence, expose every single human world government. It exposes their flaws and faults, their limitations, and even their wickedness when you put those up against the government of God. And, and, and so that's really what we, what we want to identify as people who are citizens in the kingdom of God. But government, all government, no matter what government that is, all government demands total submission 
and it finds this idea of loyalty to Christ and his kingdom very hard to accept. Jesus warns us uh, in a couple passages, actually in a lot of passages, but a couple here this morning. In Mark chapter 13, verse nine, Jesus says this. He says, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when, you bring you, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say but, say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, the child will rise against his parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in, in Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 12, um, Jesus says this, it says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You see, because of this loyalty that God calls us to, when we are loyal to the kingdom of God, we will run the very real risk of persecution and it will cost us. If we are loyal to God and his kingdom, it will cost us no matter where we live. And, and, and what's interesting is Jesus, in what he says in the gospel, does not identify this cost this persecution as a bad thing or something to escape from by running away and hiding somewhere safe. In fact, what Jesus says is that the, the persecution for loyalty to his kingdom is a divinely appointed way of witnessing Jesus for the salvation of others. In, in both of those gospels, Jesus says, and when you're there, the point is that you would, you would, you would witness my gospel. In, in, in Mark, Jesus, Jesus says it this way. He says, he says that, that when you stand before governors and kings for my sake, why? To bear witness before them. In Luke, he says, he, says, he says that you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And he says, don't worry because what, what, what I speak through your mouth, it, it, your, your adversaries, adversaries won't be able to withstand or contradict because it is the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so not only that, but, but he says at that time, when you're in those moments when you're in those moments, he says that God through the power of the Holy Spirit will give you how to accurately reflect Jesus to your persecutors. You see, as citizens of God's kingdom, our loyalty and our obedience places us at odds with the world. The resulting disfavor that we experience, including persecution, is a divine opportunity for witnessing the gospel message of Jesus. I was listening to uh, Christine Kane in an interview not long ago, and uh, 
She runs an organization uh, called A21 that, that, rescue, that is committed to, to ending uh, worldwide child slavery. And um, she, was, she was actually visited, she had been invited to uh, a country in Asia, which was a closed country to the gospel. And there's an underground church and, and they're not allowed to have Bibles or, or be able to share Jesus in public because they will get arrested and executed. And, and so she was there and she was meeting with a group of people and they said to her, they said, hey, we, Christine, we want you to teach us what you know because you have access to the Bible and all kinds of things and you know all these things and we don't really know anything. We're trying to follow Jesus and all we know is, is what the Spirit, we follow the Holy Spirit and the Spirit tells us where to go and when to go so that we don't get arrested when we're out and about. And, 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 and before, they, they, uh, before Christine responded, uh, they said, we want you to teach us because really all we know to do is that when, when we are being walked by the guard to our execution, all we know how to do is to witness to that guard who's taking us to our execution. And Christine Kane looked at these people and she said, I have nothing to teach you. She said, I wanna know what you know. And, and, and so the reality is, is that God will move through us when we are in these divine opportunities that he has given us to bear witness to his name. And, and so there is a huge danger in misplaced loyalty. And, and so maybe a, a, an easy example because government is a really easy one to take. When we connect God's favor with a nation, we place ourselves in a position of competing loyalty. We challenge the kingdom of God that way. Let me, let me give you an example. So imagine for a second a nation that has a law and order approach to society, that there's positive pride in their nation, that within their laws and their values, they oppose pornography and prostitution and abortion and obscenity in the arts, and that they advocate discipline and punctuality and cleanliness and respect for authority. Like what's not to like and be excited about a, a, a nation like that other than the fact what I just described was the rise of Nazi Germany under Hitler. Those were all things that were characteristic of the rise of Hitler. And he convinced the German population that because their morality looked similar to the Bible, that God was on their side. We all know that that's a problem. We all know that God was not on the side of Hitler and the goals and values and agenda that he had. And, and so really what we see in Jesus' teaching and in the word of God, we see in Matthew 6, Jesus talking uh, what, what I would call the kind of the treasure principle and the loyalty to God's kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, then the light in you is darkness. How great the darkness. No one can serve two masters. No one can be fully loyal to two different entities for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, as human beings, we were created by God to have an object of primary or ultimate loyalty. And in whatever that object is, our hearts and our minds will follow. And so when we have competing loyalties in our life, when we are, when we are uh, a torn, divided, our hearts and our minds will be divided and, and will be a mess because of our divided loyalty. Jesus, Jesus teaches that we cannot have two primary loyalties. He says you cannot serve God and money, in, in other words, the primacy of wealth or property or the, the engine of, uh, of civilization because really when we think about this, economics is that engine of all civilizations. Wh whatever time you lived in human history, there is a, a, an understanding of economics that works because economics deals with scarcity and resources and incentives and decision-making both personally and globally. And really, the, the economy, economics is the primary competition to the kingdom of God for loyalty because both God and economics demand our loyalty to be full. And I think we would be dishonest to say that our economics in our time and place do not affect how we view God's kingdom. Because no one under any economic system, whether, whether you're a believer in China or a believer in Brazil or a believer here in the US, no one under any economic system is exempt from distortion of God's kingdom. And that's why Jesus gives so many warnings. Jesus talks about money so often and warns us about the power of money and money is the fuel of the economy. And so Jesus is warning us not to let our loyalties go to the economic system that we live under, whatever time, age, country, whatever it is we live, because that will not work. We are called to make intentional and repetitive decisions to remove everything from our primary focus in favor of the kingdom of God as revealed in the whole of scripture, not just a few verses here and there, but the entirety of scripture. And, and, and so we are called to order our loyalty there are so many things, as I said, that, that vie for our loyalty in our lives. They compete with each other for our loyalty. And so love of one's country is a good thing, just as honoring a father and mother is a good thing, just as cherishing your spouse or children is a good thing, or enjoying what God has blessed an individual or a group with, that is a good thing. It's not saying that these are all bad things that we need to get rid of. 
Yet these very good things can refuse to be subordinate goods and instead insist on being primary or ultimate. There's a reality that if you have children, at some point your children will demand to be the ultimate, that they are your ultimate loyalty. Some people, as, as, as they go through life, the things that we possess desire to possess us and demand our ultimate loyalty. And you see, when those subordinate goods demand our loyalty and we give them our loyalty and they compete with Jesus and the kingdom of God, that's called idolatry. And really, it's, it's, it's this idea, maybe a way to understand it is that these things are functional saviors. They work for a bit, they work for a time, but ultimately they will fall apart and fail because they cannot bear the weight of ultimate loyalty. Putting God's kingdom as our primary loyalty actually enables us to love all those other things better. If you are primarily and ultimately loyal to Jesus and his kingdom, then you will love, be able to love better your wife or your husband. You will be able to better care for and love and raise your children. You will be able to better handle whatever God blesses you with, no matter how much or how little, you will be able to better enjoy those things because your loyalty is first and foremost placed where it needs to be placed in Jesus and the kingdom of God. You see, if I, if I love anything, whether people or politics or possessions, and those become my identity, I will in time grow to hate that thing because nothing but God can carry the weight of that expectation. Every idol, sooner or later, is seen to be too weak to do what is asked to do. That son who all he wants is the recognition of his father and, and all he wants, that's, that's, what, that, what, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna suffice, that won't satisfy. Ultimately, that will fall apart because no person other than Jesus can stand the weight of that kind of expectation. And so when these things are in their rightful place, I can show gratitude for fill in the blank. When, when my loyalty is placed in the right place with Jesus and the kingdom of God, then I can show gratitude and enjoy all of these things. You see, I can show gratitude for my nation when, when my loyalty is rightly placed in the kingdom. I can participate in criticism of the mistakes that my nation has made, and I can celebrate the achievements that have been made in my nation if I am first and foremost loyal to the kingdom of God. Because you see, if I am loyal to my nation first, then either I can't talk about its mistakes or I'll try to destroy it. You see, I'm concerned that we as Jesus followers and the church in general has misplaced its loyalty in so many different places, whether it's people or it's things or ideologies. We are a divided loyalty of people we want Jesus and these other things that we, we, we see and we feel and we want so deeply. 
You see, the church is called to lead, not simply react to culture. We should be the first to point out injustice or achievement, right and wrong. You see, when my loyalty is solely to Jesus Christ and the seeking of his kingdom, then I can see the world around me as he sees it. But if I have divided loyalty to Jesus in anything else, then I am blinded to what Jesus actually sees. When I'm loyal to Jesus, I no longer have to take sides. I no longer have to take sides in the world. You see, if I'm loyal to Jesus first and foremost, I can recognize that I do not comprehend what it's like to grow up as a black man in, a, in this country experiencing undeserved bigotry and at the same time being loyal to Jesus allows me to recognize that I don't ever feel the weight and sacrifice of a police officer going out daily to protect the community and serve people knowing full well that what I want to do is going to met, be met with distrust and disdain. I don't have to take sides if I'm loyal to Jesus because Jesus is about the salvation of all people and Jesus offers his life in exchange for every person's life. And, and, and so really, the, the impact of my rightly placed loyalty is, is first of all, is that we can love and recognize the secondary better when our primary loyalty is solely toward the kingdom of God. I can love everything else better when my loyalty is with Jesus. And so often we get that mixed up. We think, no, no, I need to love this person or this thing or this ideology so that, because that's, you know, I have to love it the most. But that's not true because, because when we love Jesus the most, when we, are, we are loyal to Jesus and his kingdom, then I am able to better love those things. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Notice that all the things that vie for our loyalty are subjected to Jesus Christ himself. There is nothing that is not subjected to the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the reality is that when we are loyal first and foremost to him, then those other things that are also subjected to him fall into their rightful places. Second thing of our impact, the impact of our rightly placed loyalty is this, that peace is only possible when our loyalty is placed on Jesus alone. Peace is only possible if your loyalty is placed in Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God you will not find peace otherwise. When our primary and ultimate loyalty is for the kingdom of God, then we not only will have peace with God, but we will also have peace with those who are loyal to Jesus as well. Kyle read this passage last week, Ephesians 2, verse 14. It says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. 
expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus promises us that peace with one another. But here's the thing, that is only if we are loyal first and foremost to Jesus. Because if we aren't, there won't be peace. In fact, if we are not solely loyal to Jesus, then we will experience the opposite of peace. We will, we will have division when anything other than Jesus and God's kingdom is mixed with our primary loyalty. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Sounds like a contradiction, but read on. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So we just read that Jesus is our peace. And that if we are loyal to him, then we will not only have peace with God, but peace with others. But the problem here is Jesus says, I come with a sword. And families will be set against each other. Why? Here's why. Read on in that. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what Jesus is saying is if, if you love and you are more loyal to your father or mother or your son or your daughter, then there will be division. Jesus has come to create division because Jesus is worthy of the loyalty that is misplaced. He goes on and he says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus makes it very clear that when we are not solely devoted to him, then there will be strife, there will be division. And I believe that, that the evidence for us today is the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is divided, which would suggest that Jesus is bringing a sword because we are not fully and finally loyal to Jesus alone. You see, I believe our loyalty to our clubs all too often tend to be more defining of us than our loyalty to Jesus. When I am known for the things that I am a part of and I, I reflect more than Jesus, that suggests that there's a problem. See, our, our loyalty to Jesus determines whether we experience peace or a sword. And then finally, the impact of, of rightly placed loyalty is this, that God will give his people opportunity to confirm their loyalty and obedience to him. God will give his people opportunities to confirm that you and I are loyal and obedient to him. I don't know if you remember the story that Steve Trevino, uh, who, who was with us uh, probably a month, maybe a little over a month ago, who works with the church in Iran, and he told a story that was a little bit unsettling. A story about a family from Minnesota, and they came to, to Steve and their organization and said, we want, to, we want to go as a family over to Somalia to teach the gospel. And, and Steve's response to this family, because it was a mom and a dad and two, two young 
blonde-haired girls, and he said, look, Somalia is, is one of the most dangerous countries in the world today, and that if you go, there is a probability, there is a likelihood that one or both of your daughters will be taken. And, and so as he told the story, the family, they felt compelled by God and they told him this story that they were not only in for going to Somalia, their whole family, but, but they, God had called them and, and they had gone to a, a cemetery and they had a funeral and a burial for everyone in their family because they were ready to go in obedience. And, and as we heard that story, that was a little bit unsettling. And as we think about that, it's kind of like, well, that seems like that, that couple, those those parents were irresponsible parents. We're supposed to raise our kids and teach them and grow them and protect them. And they're taking them into a place where it is very possible that they could be taken and horrible things done. And, and, and I would assume that many of us struggled with that story. But the interesting thing, that's not the first time we heard that story. And because the first time we heard the story, we know the ending, how it resolves. It doesn't offend us or we don't struggle with it. But in Genesis 22, we see a very similar thing where, where God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac. Isaac, who was the promised son who would, who would develop a nation. The promise that God made to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him to this mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me by putting him on an altar and burning him up. And so Abraham went. And in Genesis 22, verse 11, we read, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And it's this moment where Isaac is tied fastened to the altar, and Abraham is about to light it. And the angel of the Lord says to him, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. You see, since we know the outcome of that story and that God did what we wanted him to do, we're okay with that story. But, but see, if we didn't know that God would rescue Isaac and reward Abraham for his loyalty, we would be a little bit more standoffish we would be a little concerned because like the family that went to Somalia, we don't know what's gonna happen and it's, it's possible that something terrible would happen. So, so, so if we didn't know that about Abraham, what God's plan was, we might say, Abraham, you're hearing God wrong. Or Abraham, you're an irresponsible father for, for being willing to give up your son. But what does God say? He says, now I know that you are fully committed and loyal to me first. And because you are loyal to me first, all the other things in your life will be in order. Do you think Abraham didn't love his son? Of course he did. 
Abraham spoiled his son. <laughs> he gave him everything. Yet now God knew that Abraham was loyal to God alone. Yesterday I was thinking about something that happened my freshman year of college. And I was, I was thinking about when I, when I went to school, went to school in Indiana and, and uh, it was a Christian liberal arts college. And, and so throughout the year, there was some, they did some concerts and stuff. And so my freshman year, the first concert I went to at school was a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. And it was, it was when he was on tour uh, for his album, For the Sake of the Call, and that was kind of the, the song that defined the album and defined a lot of people who got pretty excited about it. And the words to the song read, nobody stood and applauded them, so they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was that Jesus had called to them. He said, come follow me, and they came. With reckless abandon, they came. And the chorus says, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. And I remember being a freshman in college and going out that night after being at the concert and going out by myself and wrestling with God and saying to God, God, I want to be that and I will do anything. You can have everything and I will do whatever you call me to do no matter how hard the ask. And, and it's interesting because really as a, as a college freshman, as, as most college freshmen, it wasn't like I had that much to abandon. <laughs> That's kind of an easy statement to say, God, you can have all when you have next to nothing. But as I thought about that recently, I thought at that point, looking back, I didn't have what I have today. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a family. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a house. I didn't have all the stuff that I have today. It's a much costlier thing for me to say right now, Jesus, I want you, if you choose, to take everything. Everything in order to be who you want me to be and do what you want me to do. As I get older, that ask becomes costlier and harder. What I know now that I didn't know then is that loyalty expressly to Jesus would cost. To speak prophetically about the events of our time has and will cost me. It's cost friendships. It's cost my family. What I'm sharing with you today has cost with it because it challenges the things that we want for ourselves and the loyalties we've given ourselves over to. I wonder if maybe the lyrics to that song, a better lyric for us would be we will abandon a negotiated select few things for the sake of the call. Because that's truth, isn't it? We won't abandon all things for the sake of the call. 
But there is a handful of things that we've agreed with Jesus that we would be willing to give up. But it certainly doesn't include everything. Because there are things that we will not give up for Jesus' sake. So this morning, here's, here's the ask. Here's what I would ask you to do today, to write down the name of someone that you know who has discernment and is willing to be honest with you and that you won't dismiss them if they tell you something you don't agree with. And I know that's difficult because, because to find someone who has discernment, who will be honest with you, and then you won't dismiss when, when they say something you don't agree with, that's a hard person to find. But, but someone who cares about you enough to tell you what might even make you angry. And once you've identified that person, I want you to let them identify your divided loyalties that you maybe don't see or you just don't want to see and give them permission to help you let go of those things and for them to help evaluate how you're doing. And one more thing about that. If that person you ask can't see any divided loyalties in you, then they're not the right person because you're not that holy and neither am I. And, and, and so this morning, I need others to help me with that. And so the first step in the right direction of Jesus and the kingdom of God being your primary loyalty in this life is to get help from someone else. So do that if you're serious about being loyal to Jesus and his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I thank you for your patience and your perseverance and your endurance In, in us, how God, you are so willing to wait for us to be solely loyal to you. God, I pray that our prayer would be your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, not, not your kingdom come and will be done as long as it only affects these things in my life, but God, that, that we would be fully, fully loyal and, and, and devoted and committed to you and your kingdom, that we would be willing to let everything else go. God, that we would ask you for our daily bread rather than depending on the economy for what we need. But God, we would truly recognize you as the giver and sustainer. And we would not have divided hearts and minds. But God, we would be solely loyal to you so that we can enjoy and love the people and the things that you've given us.
God, that we wouldn't have to make choices anymore because we are loyal to this group or that group and Jesus, but we are loyal to Jesus alone so we can speak truth and justice and grace into the lives of every group. God, change us and help us to truly lay down our lives for your sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.